Welcome to the Kindness Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Harrington, where each week I'll be interviewing game changers who are up to good things in the world, supporting us with health and wellness resources, and ultimately how to live your kindest life. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Patrick Harrington with the Kindness Collective Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm here with, we were just going over this, but we're pretty sure he's an OG in the Denver yoga community, Eric Vineau. Um, gosh, what a what an awesome person. He has contributed so much to our Denver community. And he's, he's one of the things about Eric is he's one of the most modest guys that you'll ever meet. And uh, just just doesn't doesn't necessarily own his own impact in the world. He he created Yoga Rocks the Park and Friday Night Yoga Club. Uh, graduated from Samadhi's teacher training, yoga teacher training back in the day. And we've uh, been friends and colleagues for 15, 16-ish years. And Eric and I are really going to go through a brief history of Eric and then look at his current endeavors that center around his company called Awake. And they do local retreats and uh, international retreats now. And he's also just a recent, recent graduate from Naropa. So mm-hmm. he's doing some personal therapy and has a book coming out. Mm-hmm. Really excited to hear more about his journey. Welcome, Eric. Oh, thanks for having me, Patrick. It's uh, exactly what you started with. Um, I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. Mm. And um, part of that is never feeling good enough about yourself. Mm. Yeah. And I just wanted to, I, I love being really open, you know, and, and honest. And that's my experience is, is, and you, what you've done for me and a lot of others in our community is to make us feel ready before we think we are ready. Mm-hmm. You, you, you see um, our abilities before we see them ourselves. And you help us to face our fears um, to, to step into our greatness. Mm-hmm. Um, and you model it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Readiness, readiness is such a such an interesting thing, right? Today I was getting um, a vitamin C uh, infusion, an IV, and I was talking to the person that was uh, the nurse that was about to do the IV therapy, and we started talking about readiness. And she said something that was a, a new way of saying something that I've said a long time. She said, "Being ready implies that you're not going to make a mistake." And I've always said readiness is not a prerequisite for action. Readiness is not a prereq for anything other than, you know, the pretense that you're more comfortable starting. But readiness uh, means that you might not make a mistake. And, you know, mistakes are one of the best parts of everything, (laughs) right? That's one of the best things. You taught me this. So this is one of the things about you is... It points in life. I'm sure I'm not alone. Everyone listening that's been impacted by you, um, you just remember something of the way you are, and then you remember, oh, that's thanks to Patrick. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Thank you. Yeah, and one of the things you taught me was um, 
to plan something, you just put it on the books. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if this is accurate. I remember it this way, but maybe when you were first, you know, working on kindness YTTs, mm-hmm. um, you would just schedule the thing. Yeah, uh, three months out, yeah. put it on the on the books, and then you get ready to create it to, to yeah. rock it out. Be ready for the first week, the day before it begins. <laughs> right, <laughs> and and it and it built itself through there. Uh, yeah, that was back in the vital days even. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a philosophy that that's really worked and served Mm -hmm. to get things going before the concern about maybe it being perfect. You know, I also, and this is something I've learned on my own, I think is the readiness piece. Mm -hmm. I'm not feeling ready, um, to start events that I've done or, um, trainings that I've done or uh, my therapy practice, um, or sharing Buddhism, which is very sacred to me to be a Dharma teacher. Yeah. Um, is to get myself out of the way and to think about, even though I'm scared shitless, mm. <laughs> um, how many people can I benefit? Um, how many people can get something out of this? Yeah. And, and that's the reason to do it. And that's the reason to go through the fear and the self-doubt, um, to act before I feel ready, because it's going to change the lives of so many people. Yeah. Um, that it's then it's worth going through my own suffering, and I think because I'm so such an open book, yeah. that I'll share that I'm nervous. Yeah. You know, I'll I'll share that I didn't feel ready. I'll share that I um, lack worthiness. And you know, um, most people aren't what they put on their uh, social media feeds. Yeah, um, they have the same fears inside. Right. And uh, I think that's very comforting to people to know that as life gets bigger, like your life is pretty big and and, and bold and impactful. And I'm, I'm shy to say that my life is that way. But if I'm honest, I think I am making an impact. Yes. And for people to know that inside, I, I doubt myself just like they do. Yeah. Um, but I'm overcoming that fear because service is so important to me. People suffering less is so important to me. Yeah. Um, and then it, I think of the Dalai Lama and how he shares um, enlightened self-interest mm-hmm. is one of his big things. Right. You would think you'd be more happy by thinking of yourself. But you're actually more happy when you think of others. Yeah. So it's enlightened self-interest because if I want to be happy, I just think of others and serve them. Right. Um, but I get to be happy. Right. 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 <laughs> so it's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. So for me to, I want to, I want to say back what I think he's saying because I, I, I've, mm-hmm. I've heard that and I never really unpacked it. So enlightened self-interest, enlightenment, by what you just shared, is the being in service is the gateway to enlightenment. Is that, is that right? And that by, by being in service to others, you're actually being self-interested because service to others is feels so good and, and, and is the path to enlightenment. Is that well, right? We all get up in the morning to be happy and not to suffer, right? Yeah. That's what we all do. Sure. Is, are you going to do that intelligently or ignorantly? Uh-huh. Ignorantly is think of yourself, get more material things, try to find the right relationship, try to get out of the wrong relationship, right. try to get a raise, mm-hmm. um, all that stuff. Yeah. And it, that's, that's fine, but it's not going to work. Right. It's not going to bring you lasting happiness. Uh-huh. Uh, but if you get up and you think um, less self, that's uh-huh. one of the aspects of realization or enlightenment is that you'll, you'll understand that there's no self. Yeah. So therefore, there's no one less to, left to suffer. <laughs> right less yeah. self right yeah no no self is one of the main things in in buddhism is uh-huh. that you'll learn and impermanence as well as the other one um, yeah yeah so that's awesome so so when you you started doing uh yoga and then you took 
yoga teacher training with Samadhi. Mm-hmm. And soon after that, you started looking to community and how you could serve in a bigger way with community with, was it Friday Night Yoga Club was first or second? Was second. It, uh, yoga Rocks the Park was first. And Yoga Rocks the Park was certainly first uh, because, well, Friday Night Yoga Club was a strong second because yeah. at the end of that first summer, yeah. we were having such a good time yeah. every Sunday in the park um, that we were like, we want to continue this through the winter, but it's we're in Colorado, yeah. so where are we <laughs> going to go? Work. And that's when I met you because you're one of the people in our community that is is not into competition. You're into supporting everyone. Yes. Um, and you were one of the first, I heard that about you, and you were one of the first places I call was Kindness Yoga. Can we do a Friday night yoga club there and try this new thing out? And if you're known for anything, it's you're not afraid to try something new. Yeah. Um, and you're not um, going to just focus on your business entity, but you want what's best for for all the folks in the community. Yeah. Um, and one of our first Friday night yoga clubs was at your place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. And it's I love what my one of my favorite parts is Growing up as an adult child of an alcoholic, I want to create environments where um, intoxication isn't the most important thing. And Friday Night Yoga Club was a huge part of that, is giving people a place to go and connect with others and do something healthy. That's right. Yeah. Now, these entities continue, although you're not at the helm. So let's let's give a shout out to, to them in their current form. That's Christina Pichel, correct? Mm-hmm. And she's continuing the traditions in her own way. And Christina mm-hmm. works for us as a manager with Kindness Yoga and teacher mm-hmm. and um, one of our main um, pillars in our administration and management. Um, oh. So shout out to her. And Friday Night Yoga Club, we'll put these things in the notes for folks that are interested in doing sober evenings with like-minded people inside in studios, and then also Yoga Rocks the Park, which is an amazing opportunity to practice yoga outside with uh, teachers from around the area. Mm. And so from there, you transitioned and, and you went into more contemplation around the potential to work one-on-one. Is that right? Did that go next in terms of Naropa and looking at the therapy program? This is a great question. (laughs) Mm. Um, I've been working with clients a lot around this lately. Um, When they realize they're ready for something new that's more meaningful, I think when I was less mature as a therapist, I I would have tried to help them find exactly what that job is. And in my world, that job would currently be therapist. Uh, But what I'm starting to learn is there's, there's nine out of 10 times, there's an underlying deeper intention and um, a prayer that we say in the Buddhist tradition is, may all beings be happy, peaceful entities. May we reduce their suffering. May we help folks, including myself, to uncover our shared unlimited nature. So that's what we, um, that's what we do. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that, that's the underlying uh, piece where I used to think, oh, life needs to look a certain way. Yeah. You know, uh, but all you need to do is intend I'm learning. And what I've been intending since I started the, the Buddhist path is to reduce confusion, unearth people's perfection um, for them and me. And currently that looks like therapist. Right. Yeah. Right. The, <laughs> cur- the current iteration of how you support people in unearthing their own inherent perfection is as a therapist. Correct. Yeah. And, and also through Awake. Talk about Awake. What a great name. Uh, I absolutely, every time I think of the organization and think of the word Awake, it 
feels good. <laughs> how did you how did you arrive at that name, and, and what does it mean to you? Hmm. Well, in the Buddhist path, um, awakening is it's called being a stream enterer. Hmm. Before that, you're a soso kiwo. <laughs> wow. In Tibetan, which is a which is a little harsh, it means childlike being, uh-huh. a childlike being who um, is frustrated, um, doesn't know how to get their needs met. They don't know how to be happy, so they fight a lot, they argue a lot, they uh, they get easily stressed out. Um, they haven't realized that what they're looking for, their their peace, ease, and joy, is within them, and uh, they look to an impermanent world that's continuously falling apart. You may have noticed. Relationships fall apart. Um, jobs fall apart. Uh, people die. People, you get, we get sick. Um, so going to the world to get your happiness, it's not going to work. So you're yeah. like a childlike being. Right. Um, when you start to go into retreat and meditate, you start to discover that everything you've been looking for out there um, has been within you the whole time. And for me, it was a 30-day retreat. <clears throat> I went into deep, deep retreat and discovered um, by sitting still enough and letting the noise fall down and letting the clinging stop that within, I have always been okay. And to me, that's starting to awaken. Within, I have always been okay. Mm. And I've come to celebrate suffering, which might be bad news for someone coming to therapy. Um, It might be surprising to them that in in a very kind way, um, why people come to therapy is because they're suffering. They've been banging their head against the same wall is what I'm seeing again and again for as much time as they needed to. Yeah. Um, and when they finally pick up the phone to come in to awake for therapy, um, it's because they, they want to come in tomorrow. If, if they could come in right away, they would because they're so sick of suffering. They don't maybe know it quite yet, but that's the point where they're ready to start to wake up. Right. And that's why I get so excited when they they call at, from their lowest point. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. There's, there, they, there's a saying um, about addiction that um, I, think is, I think is true for myself and my own ways that, I, that I'm addicted, that I think everybody is an addict in some way. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's one that des- describes in particular alcoholism that says that as long as someone puts a pillow under the addict's head as it's falling into the gutter, they won't quit. That the addict asked actually has to hit their head in the gutter in order to realize. Now, is that true all the time? No, gratefully not. But often that is the place uh, being at a lowest point when somebody actually seeks the help that they need. Oh, I so. would love to share my lowest point. Yeah, and it right. wasn't as tragic as maybe um, the bottom that an alcoholic needs to hit. Yeah, um, but for me, it was partying. Uh-huh. I moved here from Boston, came to Vail to be a ski bum. I got involved in ecstasy and the the, the scene with the EDM music, um, and it seemed so great, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I came to see the suffering um, of chasing that feeling that ecstasy gives you MDMA. Uh, makes you feel safe and whole and exposed to your, um, I think, ultimate goodness almost. It's, it's very intense. Um, and on Wednesday every week, I'd find myself crying at work wow. because I was coming down from feeling so okay and so good. Yeah. And I was on a beach in Thailand with my, who's now my wife. Yeah. 
so the good side of, of I think something like MDMA is before you have a direct experience from the, the strength of a solid practice, yeah. it can kind of give you a sneak peek, maybe like psychedelics or um, MDMA can do this. Um, I looked at my wife and I said, it's not your form that I love. I, I see you. Um, it was like when you say namaste in yoga. Yeah. And in that moment, I knew we'd spend the rest of our lives together because I, and we both were in tears. Uh, so that was the beauty of that night. Wow. Um, but then as the sun came up, <laughs> I made a promise to myself. I said, I'm going to feel this way without drugs someday. Yeah. Um, because I knew it wasn't that little pill. Yeah. It, the pill just opened a door to something so real. Um, I would call it non-dualist or, um, presence, yep. suchness, yep. Um, just completely tied into love and connection, seeing past all the bullshit confusion that we all carry around to someone's true nature. Yeah. Feeling that with her and my own was, was beautiful. But making that promise has fueled my life to this day where I really don't need anything else, you know? Yeah. And it reminds me of a story of one of the great yogis that they were over here uh, teaching in the 60s or 70s. And, you know, acid was a big thing. And the students said, oh, why don't you, you know, Baba, one of the famous yogis, why don't you take six, you know, why don't you take some acid? Mm -hmm. And I think the story goes that he popped six, seven pieces of acid and uh, he was no different. Yeah. Yeah, right. So that's the, that's the point of life, I think, is, is just uncovering this um, naturally when able. Yeah. <laughs> a state of, of wholeness, a state of feeling connected state of seeing um seeing the truth of each other so mm. what i hear that you saw in your sweetheart is mm. the seeing the truth of her in that moment and then remembering <clears throat> that that was present when you were sober remembering that mm -hmm. the truth of her was still there <laughs> when when you're sober and i think you know whether we're inebriated with emotion and we're angry and frustrated and, you know, being a parent certainly gives me the opportunity to forget the perfection of my daughters sometimes when I'm feeling frustrated for whatever reason or creating a story about their intentions behind something. But they are probably the purest reminder of how good we are mm -hmm. to begin <laughs> when we come in here and that you know over time i think it's interesting it, it's interesting to even think about this idea of when did we go to sleep in order to need awakening mm -hmm. because sitting here talking to you right now i can't necessarily put a i can't put a finger on why I would think otherwise about people. I can certainly, we could, we could both gather evidence that proves that people aren't good. And we can both right now gather evidence that proves that people are inherently good. Uh, so it's interesting. So awake leverages the community. You're still uh, really a, a stand and a container in your organization for bringing in other experts, other teachers, and collaborating. And so you do this on weekend workshops that are local. And I know you're going to Nicaragua, is it? 
uh, Belize. Belize, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Belize for your first international retreat. So tell me what happens on these retreats that you have here in town. So the we have awake retreats the second Sunday of each month in, in Evergreen. Now we moved up the hill because I learned that uh, people love to come up and just chill out um, in the, you know, the foothills. So what happens on retreat? That's a great question. It's silent. And for a lot of people, that's, um, well, for some people, that's a little scary. Uh, but you can kind of imagine a snow globe, right? And if you shake it all up, you're not going to see the little object that's inside your snow globe. Right. Um, but if you let it sit still, like the, the little snow falls and settles, and then you can see clearly, right? Yeah. Um, so that's why the silence. Um, and it's, it's not just verbal silence, but you actually almost keep your gaze down throughout the day. You drink your tea, you eat your meal, and you go deeply within. I, I think that's the most important part of the container is this world is so busy. I think what I've seen mostly with my clients uh, this last month especially um, for some reason is people are really caught up more than usual, it seems, in the busyness of our culture. And to create a container where people can just feel safe for the day uh, from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. and that we're going to take care of them and that they're going to be cared for is so important. And I think that ties into what I'm learning um, from Lisa Wimberger at mm-hmm. the Neurosculpting Institute, yep. uh, a lot about regulating the nervous system. So before retreat, uh, it, it's all, we get there early, we set the space, and when they walk in, one of my rules with whoever I work with is that the space is ready for them. There's no one running around doing any last minute things to prepare. And from the moment they arrive to the moment they leave, uh, that container is sacred for them to just drop in completely. And also, it's a, I call it a gateway drug to a Vipassana retreat. Because <laughs> sure. in the Buddhist tradition, um, you sit for many hours in long retreat. You sit with the most intense sensations you can imagine. And that's kind of where the juice is. Um, but what I see in, in the community as it exists today is there's a lot of folks that love yoga. There's a lot of folks that are interested in meditation. And this is a way to come in for a day and not have to sit still for eight hours. Um, so therefore, we integrate yoga into the day. Um, sometimes like Jordan New will come and teach Qigong. Or um, is it Mike Nino Maya? I think you introduced me yeah. to? Yeah, he's taught Qigong in the past there. Um, and then, um, oh, at the end of the day, we had Jeremy Wolf come in uh, last retreat, and we finished with Yoga Nidra. So it's the kind of day where you go home and you don't quite know how powerfully you dropped in and how quiet you got. Uh, but people tend to notice when they get home, things feel a lot more intense. Yeah. And I always remind them at the end of the day to, um, to bring this with you and to be really kind to yourself as you re-enter into the busyness of our culture. Um, you know, go home and take a warm bath or um, give yourself a nice, simple vegetarian dinner, nothing too heavy. Go to bed early. Because um, yeah. it's really all about integrating, isn't it? Mm. When you go into retreat, um, you, you, you calm down, you have some insights, and then you come out. Yeah. Um, and it's all about weaving in your, your new awareness into your everyday life. Um, and I think looking forward to the next time to go deep within. And what, it's beautifully, beautifully stated, what, if, if someone were to take a retreat like that and they go into themselves deeply and they may or may not have a lot of practice with that, and then they go back into their life, I can imagine that might be kind of jarring. Hmm. Is that, is that something that people find? They're like, oh my God, I had no idea how intense my life was. 
in my own experience, there's a mindfulness hangover huh. in a good way. Yeah, right. <laughs> there seems like when I've done long retreats, like the big 30-day retreats, I'll come back. And for the first 10 days, um, it's like water off a duck's back is the analogy. Mm-hmm. Like the world can throw anything at me. Um, actually, my spouse has been um, had some stuff come up when I'm gone for 30 days and we've had young kids. Yeah. And I don't blame her. It's not normal in our culture to go away for 30 days when you have little kids. Yeah. Um, so I'd come home and, and she'd have a lot coming up towards me for, for being gone for 30 days. The, the stove broke. Um, one of our kids did this. I had to deal with it on my own. Um, and for those first 10 days, I could just take so much accountability for how much that must have hurt her and how hard that was for her to have her husband gone for a month. Yeah. Uh, but I'll tell you, as the mindfulness kind of fades, if I don't have a strong daily practice, instead of being compassionate, I'll start to become myself again mm. and get defensive and, and um, blaming. And, yeah. and all of a sudden, I can see the effects of being whole and okay get covered up again by the busyness and the confusion of this culture and the pressures of money and um, in the roles that we take. Yeah. The dad role comes back strong, the husband role, the I need to make enough money or I'm not worthy. So all the things that I was able to let go and like that snow globe during yeah. retreat, they all fell down because really they are just thoughts. Yeah. But then they take over again. And the saying in Buddhism is, is to be in the world, but not of the world. And that's a constant struggle as what they call in, in this tradition is being a householder. Yeah. Um, you could almost argue that monks have it a little easier. <laughs> sure. Uh, but as a householder, you're always fighting that battle, in my opinion, um, an experience of trying to be whole and, and, and maintain your awareness of okayness in a world that, is going arguably in the other direction most of the time. Uh-huh. They're going towards, right? In our culture, you get a badge for being busy, don't you? Mm. <laughs> sure. Yeah, so it's, it's easy to get sucked right back in and confused. And then I wonder, what good can I be to others that come to my retreat if I buy in again um, to that? Yeah. Ignorance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and, 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 uh, and there's something about momentum that feels there for me, which is, there's a momentum that we that one could drop into in retreat with five, ten, fifteen other people, um, with a teacher, with a theme around slow, mm. and and we can then become a community moving slower, even for a day, or in some cases for thirty days, or ten, or a vipassana retreat, or what have mm. you. And that, that the, the body and the mind is so amazingly adaptable that in such a short period of time, like a day, we can drop into a different momentum, especially when we're with a community of people. And one of the reasons why I think retreat is so powerful, retreat with others, is that we drop, one drops into a different momentum. And because we're such amazing creatures, mm-hmm. We can adopt that momentum really quick and become some, literally become different. Transformation can happen in a day. And often for people, we see it in a yoga class where somebody comes in for an hour at the end of their day or lunch hour or on the weekend or whatever. And by doing the intensity of the asana, of the breath work, doing it in community, 
remind, being reminded that if life gives you lemons, make lemonade through the Dharma, they come out and they're like, oh my God, I can see my life totally differently. And it's one of the things that's so heartening for me being in the, in the world of yoga, mindfulness, meditation that we're in, is that actually the cultural myth that change is hard, I don't, I don't know if that's true. I think that it's a myth that we, that, that, that myth has its own momentum and that the idea that it's hard to change has more to do with the, the momentum and the experience of the community that you run with, that you're constantly being reminded. It's really hard to change if you're a partner in a law firm and everybody's putting in 50, 60 hours a week and that's expected of you. And it, it looks like death to be an outlier in that group. But change from the perspective of somebody whose snow globe has settled. No, I can change. Um, so can you speak a little bit about that? Is that, that, that to me is this idea of, of our, our perfection is, is almost law, our, our, our covering, our covering of our perfect self or our, or our innate goodness. It, it has us buy into these ideas that we can't change, but in fact we can. Do you see that? Do you see people changing? Oh, there's so much there. I never looked at it that way. And it's so beautiful to see it that way. Um, what, what I hear you pointing to through my lens is refuge. Mm. Um, so you take worldly refuge, and that would be the partner in the law firm. Um, worldly refuge. So refuge is going to prote- for protection, so I could see the attorney growing up in a way that um, in our culture, he was running with that crowd, right? Since an early age, maybe his parents had, the, maybe they, they had the means to um, send him to the right schools. And then he could get into the right um, graduate program or law school. And then um, he could get the next move where he became a, um, uh, got a job at a law firm, right? Mm-hmm. And then he woke up one morning feeling like, oh, just having this job isn't enough. I still don't feel complete. I'm going to go for refuge, for protection, in trying to become a partner at a law firm. And then he spends the next five years trying to get maybe the right wife that looks the part to go to the fundraisers to get the respect to become the partner. Mm. Right? And then it's like, oh, I'm still not happy. (laughs) Mm. I'm still, I have a lot of money and I have a nice house. But I got the new house and then the roof broke, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? So, so you get the stuff and then the stuff falls apart. Or mm. uh, maybe that wife isn't quite the perfect wife mm-hmm. that, that you thought she was. Mm. Um, so th- this, is, this is the ongoing struggle of taking refuge in the wrong place. And, and this is what we do in the West uh, when we haven't grown up with the Eastern spiritual traditions. So what you're saying is totally true that that, that, that person on that trajectory could have changed at any moment. Yeah. Had he come into contact with the three jewels, mm. um, so the three jewels is Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. Mm. You know, um, and a big part of of that is Sangha, and mm-hmm. I think that's what you're pointing to is in the yoga community. You're on your lunch break. I know I've even at this point in my development of twenty plus years of a practitioner, I'll go into yoga on my lunch break feeling anxious, yeah, stressed because I've been buying into the same thing that that. Um, that gentleman, that um, the wrong wrong place for refuge. Yeah, not the wrong place, but th- your choice of refuge 
contributes to a feeling of anxiety. Because I grew up in a culture where that's been so reinforced in my in my head. Yeah. <laughs> that's my karma is to grow up in the West, especially in New England where I grew up in Boston area. Yeah. It is about um, get the job, get the girl, get the white picket fence, save for retirement, and that'll then you'll be happy. It, it's very much delaying happiness until some point that may not ever happen. Yeah. Uh, but in this tradition, um, happiness is here right now. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just re- remembered that this morning I was a little embarrassed because my daughter has her room downstairs. Mm-hmm. She's in high school. And I thought she had left for school. Yeah. Um, and I was singing. And I wasn't singing some like, you know, spiritual kirtan song. I think I'm done with that part of my development of, they call it spiritual materialism, mm-hmm. where you have six malas on and you you do all the chanting and you're, you're so bought into a whole new identity. Yeah. Um, and I brought my suffering right into the path that way, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but this morning I was singing like that Brandy song. I don't know. Do, 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 Brandy, you're yeah. a fine girl. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, and I'm belting it out like... Yeah. And I was, I was laughing at myself because I'm feeling so much joy. And I'm not going to pretend like this is my everyday experience. But for yeah. some reason, I got the right amount of sleep. You know, and actually to, to bring this into the conversation, I think it's important. Um, I think in our culture, the message we need more than ever is to stop trying so fucking hard. Yeah. Um, this morning, um, a, a lot of times on podcasts, yeah. and this isn't your podcast culture, but a lot of it is extreme athletes. And they'll tell you, you need to get up at four in the morning and make the most of your day. I'm going to tell you the truth this morning. My wife could bring my other kid to school, Connor, to school. um, So I could sleep in a little. I got my weighted blanket, which is great to make you feel safe and reduce anxiety. Yeah. Because I was feeling, you know, in the morning, sometimes you just feel a little off. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I put that weighted blanket on. I curled up. I opened the windows. I looked and watched it snow in Evergreen where I live. Beautiful. And I just did a body scan. I breathed. And in the old days, I would have been really hard on myself. Like, I need to get up and sit. Mm-hmm. And sure as shit, when I was looking in the mirror, goofing around and singing to myself, and embarrassed because my daughter heard me. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> but she said, I love you, Dad. Have a good day. Because uh-huh. she knows this is what it is. Yeah. Um, I really patted myself on the back um, for experiencing some really deep joy, which yeah. is one of the seven factors of awakening in Buddhism is is, um, is joy is one of them, mm. um, and, it, and it, it's nothing really that special. It's it's just who we are inherently when we're not so freaking confused and trapped and taking refuge in the wrong things. Yeah, right. Yeah. Joy is the result of. I think it's a great. It's a great. It's our birthright. It's, <laughs> it's a birthright, and it's also, um, you know, in in the form that we're in, compasses are uh, helpful. And joy as a part of the compass that helps us to know if we're aligning in a direction. There's something about if I'm taking refuge in a place that is self-serving, I will feel more joy. And that there's, there's something beautiful in that for me. I'm a big fan of this idea of, you know, what, what's my North Star in each moment? And I think that so often, my, in my case, I suffer because I forget. And hmm. the, you know, the, one of my foundational things that I enjoy remembering is that death is safe. And so if death is safe, then I can certainly let this perspective die that's causing me suffering. I can certainly let this frustration with my daughter, with my wife, with my 
with the IRS, with whatever it is, I can certainly let it die. If it's safe for me to leave the body, then it's certainly safe for this perspective to leave the body. Mm-hmm. And in the moment, even though the, you know, the in quotes problem might not have gone anywhere, I might still have to deal with the IRS or whatever. The me, why, dealing with it is in such a better place. Um, so I can, I, I can really take that on and I will, this, this idea of when I'm feeling joy, I'm most likely moving into alignment with being self-serving and um, enlightened self-serving hmm. is really, you know, how I want to, how I want to practice that idea. It's a win-win. It's a win-win, <laughs> right? It's a win for everybody. You said, when you said forget, sometimes you forget. Yeah. It's really interesting. In Tibetan, the word for meditation, well, the word is gom. We've called it meditation, right? Uh-huh. And gom means to familiarize. familiarize. Hmm. So to remember. To remember. And that's a huge instruction on meditation retreat. And I'm like, if you come to a day long with us or the, the, the week in Belize, there's going to be a lot of that. Yeah. Remember the instruction is something because our minds are so busy yeah. running the old scripts that make yeah. us suffer Yeah. that all you need to do is remember to come back to now. Mm-hmm. And it's like training a muscle. Yeah. And I always tell people that like people that think they shouldn't, aren't able to meditate because they can't still their mind. Um, they, they, that's a normal belief in the, in the sure. West, right? But really, it's just turning the volume up on now and letting the volume turn down a little on all the, all the distracting thoughts. Yeah. Um, and all the old scripts, I'm not good enough. You know, the things that really make folks suffer. Um, another thing about meditation I love that just came to mind is uh, same taste. Hmm. Uh, meaning, um, whatever thought comes up, whether you would perceive it as helpful or harmful, in the beginning of your practice, it doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter if if it's a great thought or a destructive thought. All thoughts are treated the same, especially in the beginning. They're just to be let arise, let stay for that second, and then let return. Mm. The only problem is is when we engage with our thoughts. Sure. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Something that, uh, an image that appeared to me is... As a, as a way of talking about same taste is the, the idea of, you know, sometimes I'll put on like instrumental music when I'm going to do some longer work sessions and the music is going on in the background of what I'm present to. Like my thoughts are going on in the background now and that it, I don't engage with the music even though I can hear it. And same thing with my thoughts in meditation is when I'm actually just letting them occur like music in the background of something I'm studying or artwork or focus like exercise even. Meditation just becomes the place where the attention is placed and that thoughts happen. Oh, you know, Almost always, right? There are moments, certainly, where I actually didn't think it felt amazing. But those are rare, um, at least to to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I really like that. I want to touch on um, where people can engage with Eric and becoming more awake. So talk a little bit about... um, I'd like to hear... 
what the schedule is. You said every second sun, no second Sunday, second Sunday of each month, and we purposely did that to make it more predictable. Okay. Um, the next one is March eighth in Evergreen, Great. little place called Gather Yoga. Oh, nice. And uh, Jen Hicks is going to lead the yoga. I'm going to lead the meditation. And then we have Jennifer Brock coming in at the end of the day to do a yin restorative type of um, ending. Beautiful. And then we always end with a big circle and um, and kind of just talk about what are you going to bring home from today and um, just share something that you experienced. Awesome. Yeah. Shout out to those two lady leaders in the Denver area. Mm-hmm. Awesome. We're lucky to have um, Jen teaches up in Evergreen too. Oh, awesome. Um, so she, yeah. So she has a tribe up there. Jen Hicks tribe, you know. Jen Hicks <laughs> tribe. Absolutely. Yeah. So those are, there's some other great teachers coming. I just hired uh, Lauren to help me plan retreats. If you know Damon, the Zen drummer. For sure. He's one of my good buddies for years and, and his his um, partner is now organizing the retreats. And it's one of those things about running a business yeah. that you think you can do it best yourself. To yeah. any entrepreneurs out there, I, 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 I tempt you to figure out what you're good at and then delegate the rest. Yeah. Because Lauren's bringing in teachers that I don't even know that are off the charts. Like wow. one woman did a TED Talk um, about the power of stillness. Mm. Um, these are These are high level teachers that she's bringing in that... I'm, I'm pretty impressed. Awesome. And what I'm most excited to share, and Please. I haven't mentioned this to anyone yet, it's not even on the website yet, and I just got confirmation, is July 10th through 12th, we're going to have our first mindful camping weekend. Wow. And it's only awesome. going to be like an hour from Denver at Lake Wellington. Okay. Great little campground. You can actually swim in the water, which is wow. rare in Colorado. Huge. Um, and there's hiking right there, so we're going to do mindful hiking. And then I have a... a a friend, a client who's now more of just a friend, so we can do this together. Um, he is organizing a mindful rafting wow. um, part of that. Amazing! So first weekend ever, and it's been a dream of mine to have a, a whole weekend where we can practice together, be on the ground. Yep. Sleep and then finally the is Belize, um, and that is just a month away, March twenty first through twenty eighth. And Asiana Harper is. Um, as my co-instructor and Damon's doing the drums. Amazing. And you know Asiana, right? For sure. We're birthday brother, sister. Mm-hmm. Same birthdays. <laughs> Shout out to my girl. Big hugs and love. I was on her massage table oh. and she was doing cranial sacral. Yeah. And I just, the tears just, I feel so safe oh. with her. Yeah. That all the crap from life just. Yeah. And I was so open. And right after we were like, hey, we should. We should do a retreat together. (laughs) (laughs) We should recreate this for people. And to bring it full circle, when you mentioned the, I don't know how you put it, but I tend to not think I've arrived um, or not quite stepped into my full confidence. Yeah, Um, Belize was uh, something that I wasn't quite ready for. And and taking um, a play out of your book, I just set the date and put the deposit down for this place called Akbal, beautiful place. Yeah, And then... I backed into um, allowing it to to manifest, yeah. and the minimum we needed was ten people to make it happen, and that was scary. Yeah, and now we have twenty six. What amazing! Yeah, that's going to be ridiculous. First year, holy cow! So, so awesome, <laughs> Eric. You're uh, you continue to be an inspiration and a teacher and a colleague, and the way that I like to think about people like you in my life is, um, I know that this mission of walking each other to a good death essentially mm. is what I feel like is my, my calling in life is to support people in dying well. And, um, I look at folks like you 
and the teachers that you've mentioned that you're working with as other people that are walking folks towards a good death. Because if we are able to die well, it, chances are it's because we've lived our lives with meaning and lived our lives well. And so thank you for being a part of waking people up. And um, I know that you've got a book coming up. And so I think we'll just save that for our next episode together when we get closer to that, mm-hmm. to that time. And uh, look for Eric Benoit. And what's the website? Go to awakeexperience.com. And that's where you can also schedule a private therapy session with me. Right. And for folks in the yoga community, um, I'm happy to offer to anyone listening a 20-minute phone consult because I really want to make sure I'm a good match for them if Great. we're going to do one-on-one work. So awesome! find me on the website for that. Beautiful place to get 20 minutes of, uh, of speaking with, with a really safe and open-minded person. Mm-hmm. Eric, thanks so much. Namaste. Thank you, Patrick. And truly, namaste. The word is heard in every yoga class. Uh, but when you really tune into what it means, it's it's pretty grand. So it is. Namaste. Namaste, sir. Thank you all.